0: This podcast is brought to you thanks to the generous support of Columbia Bank and Tacoma Creates.
1: My name is Tamiko Nimura. My pronouns are she, her. I am a creative nonfiction writer and public historian here in Tacoma, Washington. I'm on the lands of the Puyallup, where I live and work. I have brown skin, round face, and some wavy brown hair. Welcome to Tacoma Art Live's podcast series on our theater program, where we'll dive into the production and social positioning of each upcoming performance. On today's episode of the Civil Rights Legacy Tour, Nihonjin Face We're talking to Janet Hayakawa and Teresita Martinez, who are joining us today. I want to thank our sponsors from Columbia Bank and Tacoma Creates. A little bit about the Civil Rights Legacy Tour. Guided by Dr. King's quote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. This program is a series of original, all ages theatrical works, which explore the ongoing story of American civil rights and liberties through the experiences of the nation's diverse peoples. It has served more than 166,000 youth and adults through original performance tours to K-12 schools throughout the region. As far as our play that we're talking about today, Nihonjin Face, um, just to give you a very brief synopsis for our listeners. Ten-year-old Tomiko Hashimoto and her family are forcibly removed from their home in Tacoma, Washington, for an undetermined amount of time, and they're sent to an unknown destination, all because of their Japanese ancestry. It's 1942, the country is engaged in World War II, and the United States government incarcerates 110,000 Japanese Americans, citing reasons of, quote, national security. During Tomko's three years of incarceration, she learns the impact of racial discrimination, and she develops empathy for others facing civil rights challenges. Years later, as an adult, she eventually joins Dr. Martin Luther King's efforts to to advance civil rights and end segregation. Later in life, she shares her experiences with her grandson, who is also navigating the complexities of racial identity in the America of the 21st century. Let me welcome Janet Hayakawa and Teddy Martinez to our show. I would love to have you introduce yourselves with a little bit about your background, your theatrical work, and anything else you'd like to add for our listeners.
0: Maybe Janet first. Hi there, Janet Hayakawa. I use she/her pronouns. Um, I am an educator and a theater artist and a visual artist. Um, I am coming to you from the traditional lands of the Squaxin Island, the Nisqually and the Chehalis peoples. I'm so happy to be here.
1: Thank you. Tere?
2: Hi, uh, um, my name is Tere Martinez. Um, My pronouns are she and her, and I'm right now in Puerto Rico. Uh, So, I am on traditional lands of the Taino Indians in the Caribbean. So, um, it's very exciting (laughs) to be doing this actually from Puerto Rico, where uh, the Tainos lived. I am a playwright, and I'm also a drama education consultant. And the reason why I'm in Puerto Rico right now is because I am also running an educational theater program here called Roots and Action. And um, we, um, with this program, we visit high schools all over Puerto Rico, the island. And what we do is that we create a safe space for young people in classrooms. To discover their abilities as agents of change or leaders. So it's very exciting to be here too.
1: Wonderful. Thank you for joining us. Um, Janet, I didn't just to back up a little bit, I didn't know that you were a visual artist as well. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about your theatrical work as well, as
0: in addition to this play? Well, Teddy and I have written a couple of plays together. Um, this was the first one. And then I've also worked in educational theater work, um, bringing theater to schools in New York City, um, and with the idea of using theater and drama as a basis to teach and learn. So that connects with my educational background as well. Oh,
1: perfect. Uh, Could you perhaps tell us how you both came to work together then?
2: Oh, we should. (laughs) Well, Janet actually. uh, Janet, Janet was my boss at the creative arts team many, many years ago in New well, York City. <laughs> right, but it started
0: before then, right? We, went to, grad- from NYU. Yeah, we went to graduate school together at oh, New York University. Oh, I didn't know that. And the first, yeah. uh, the one, one of the first ways we really got to know each other was through a performance. We were in Momotaro-san. Oh, you remember Tere? Yes. I played yes. Obasan, and Tere played Oji-san. So we, tou- <laughs> we toured that to schools all over New York. We were married. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: Obasan oh, his grandmother. Oh, son is grandfather. So you guys, yes, we're a couple. <laughs>
2: that's
0: right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It was really fun. It was really fun. But then when I worked with Janet, the creative arts team, that was like, uh, I learned so much from her. She, she was amazing. I, I really learned doing theater in classrooms with Janet, and she's a great mentor to me. Well, I
0: I I think our work evolved from sort of the theoretical aspect that you learn in college to the practical aspect of what does it look like in a classroom? How can you be a teaching artist and bring these ideas to kids in ways that are significant and really use the art of theater to evoke and provoke thinking in, in young people? And I'll say that I had the great opportunity when I was at NYU to go overseas to England, where a lot of of the theater and education and drama and education work really was birthed and and developed and brought those ideas back to New York, where we worked with a team of really tremendous theater artists like Dede, where we then crafted stories that we felt would would resonate with New York City students. Um, And... So it was several years that we worked together doing that, taking taking these programs all over the city um, and every kind of student population, K-12. So that's what created our bonds together. And we just stayed connected over time. And then this opportunity came up to to write a play and um, I was talking with, with the, Broad, the Broadway Center of T- Arts Live at that point. And they were saying, um, could you help spread this with the Japanese-American community? And I'm like, okay, sure. I know a lot of people still in the theater business, so let me do that. And I you know, sent this out to everybody that I knew. And Tere came back and she said, Janet, why don't you write it? And I <laughs> said, "Because <laughs> yes. at this point, I was doing work with Densho, around the Japanese American Legacy Project and really trying to get this incarceration story out to teachers across the country in a way that was significant. And I said, oh, I'm so busy doing that. How could I do this? And then I said, okay, since you've written many plays and I've not written one outside of, you know, class at NYU, what if we do it together? So that's what birthed
2: yeah, and it was the perfect combination, right? Because she really knew the story so well. She was like, don't worry about all the history and the historical issues, you know, and, and, and the history. I'm, I'm there to support you. And then I was, you know, supporting more the playwriting aspect of it. But it was perfect. Yeah, because um, we both brought our strengths into the project. I think. Which you absolutely
1: yeah. needed, really, to do an educational play, which is a, a, a challenge, a, an artistic challenge as it is, but also to tell this story in such a, a compact amount of time, <laughs> right? The play is a, about half an hour, right? Maybe a little bit less.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There,
1: there were several I mean, challenges. There were several yes, I was going okay. to ask you to talk about those, Janet. So great. Yeah, the, the, the several challenges that you had as you were... Um, going into writing the play.
0: Beyond my insecurity with I've never written a (laughs) play before, right? We realized that, as you said, Tamiko, there's a 30-minute time limit. Um, And the other real big thing that we knew at the outset is that it really had to play to a K-12 audience. And if anybody has ever worked with students in schools or has your own children, you know that a five-year-old is very different than the way a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old um, would engage with something like this, so we knew that was going to be a huge, huge task um, how, how do you grab an audience? and then the last thing that we found out after we had the commission was that it had to connect to the Martin Luther King story right <laughs> that that was when we went, oh man, now what are we going to do <laughs> So what did you do in order to... uh,
1: I made
2: it fun, I can tell you that. It was
1: fun. (laughs) What did you do to find that connection?
2: Well, the way we actually... Yeah, um, the way we actually wrote this play, and as Janet said, we have um, written other plays, but for this particular commission, we decided that we were going to divide the work. Janet would write... um, during the war and I would write the present. It made a lot of sense, right? Because it's so connected to the, to the other story. And I know the present, you know, you know, more, you know, I I felt more comfortable writing about the present. So that's how we divided the work. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I think once we created the storyline with the um, the incarceration story, which Janet feels so comfortable doing because we knew so much about it. Um, then we thought about the present and uh, uh, and actually we in, in the past we decided that she would not come back to Tacoma, that the protagonist wouldn't come back to Tacoma, that she would move to Chicago mm-hmm. and and once we decided it was Chicago then we did all the research about Martin Luther King and his relationship with Chicago and that's how we came up with this um, with the um uh, uh, Sunday. And I'm connecting the two characters to uh, to that big march.
0: We, we did we did a lot of thinking and a lot of research ahead of that before we landed on that storyline, um, to figure out where were the intersections between the Japanese American community and the African American community um, mm-hmm. that we could that could possibly illuminate. The story, so, for instance, one storyline we we did consider was um, that at that point in history, they transported japanese Americans, most of them, on trains and buses, but particularly the trains were of interest mm-hmm. because the people who worked on the trains, predominantly as the porters and, um, were African Americans, right and so we considered, could there be some sort of story. Mm. Um, between that, because, mm. you know, that, that 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 we knew that there was that relationship. But we, I mean, so, uh, you know, that was a possible entry point, but in the end, that one didn't work. Another one we considered was the fact that my mother actually went to college with Coretta Scott at Antioch Did University say. post-war, wow. right, yeah. So, and 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 so I, our family does have a connection with the King family because then Coretta, of course, married Martin Luther King, and 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 my mother stayed connected with Coretta um, over all that time, exchanging correspondence uh-huh. letters and and you know Christmas greetings and that sort of thing. So we considered could that be a potential storyline because that was really related. Um, But I think to meet the needs of just to tell the general background of this story, um, to to address the needs of engaging K-12 students and that 30-minute window of time that we had to do it in, we just went for the broader story, um, Mm -hmm. but it did connect. and And there were opportunities for some theatrics within all of that that really worked, too. So... Anyway, that's how we kind of ended up on that particular storyline. Oh, it's a, it's a
1: great connection. I really appreciated that so much. Um, part of my training is in African American studies and culture and literature, and um, my first book was actually about Tacoma's um, first African American um, senator um, elected to our state senate. So um, I was I was just so happy to see those connections in the face as well. Um, could we maybe talk uh, th- oh, just to continue those personal connections pieces? Um, do um, can, can you talk a bit about your personal connection to um, the
0: legacy of Executive Order Nine Zero Six Six? Right. So EO Nine Zero Six Six is the presidential executive order that authorized um, the, the the marginalization, basically, of Japanese Americans that put them into The concentration camps. And it impacts my family directly, not me personally, but certainly my parents, their whole generation. So, all of my aunts and uncles and my grandparents were all incarcerated during World War II because they lived in Washington State. My mother's family was in the Kent Valley area, and my father's family was in Seattle. So, um, they were all involved in this. And, you know, it's interesting that. I think um, because of that experience, they did not really want to share that with us as children. Um, you know, they didn't like sit us down one day and say, "Listen, kids, this is what happened to us." <laughs> but you know, over time, you heard all these stories because they would always refer to it as camp. So remember, at camp, this happened. Remember, at camp, that happened. You know, we we didn't really know, but over time, we began to realize. Um, what camp really was. And again, because of that experience, I think they kind of went overboard with our generation of saying, okay, they need to be as American as possible so that what happened to them doesn't happen to our generation. So I didn't really learn the language. That was my parents' second language, right? I'd never really learned that. Um, mo- my sister and I both have American names. We don't have Japanese names. Um, So they were really trying to make us as American as possible, I think in response and reaction to what happened to them. Absolutely. Tere, do you have things to add about that? Well,
2: I I learned this story through Janet. When I met Janet in graduate school and one day, you know, we were hanging out and she tells me the story of what her parents um, grandparents parents went through. I was shocked, <laughs> and, and I, I just couldn't believe that I didn't know that this had happened in the United States. Um, coming from Puerto Rico, but you know, we know that even in the United States, a lot—I mean, the story not taught. So a lot of uh, Americans um, uh, go grow up not knowing this story. So, uh, being a Puerto Rican, I could relate so much to what she was telling me um, because. I, I just think that our political situation with Puerto Rico is one of injustice, so uh, any any other story of injustice like that it it grabs my attention and and I came to Puerto Rico. I remember coming to Puerto Rico um after that and telling everybody you know about this story and and so to me it became like through Janet a, a big part of me. so Yeah that's yeah. so lovely.
0: And really? When I had
2: the opportunity, when I had the opportunity to write this play, it was, wow, you know, finally I can do something with the story that Janet told me at, at a bigger level. I also, I, I remember I also, um, even before writing this play, I was a professor at Ostos um, Community College and I was an, uh, an ESL professor and I did a whole story, uh, a whole curriculum based on the Japanese American story because it really fascinated me. And the students, I mostly had, like, um, students from the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico, and they were, I mean, they could not believe it, but boy, could they relate to the story. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it really had a, a huge impact on me, knowing that.
1: Well, stories of injustice, right, are stories that are, many youth can relate to across um, so many kinds of groups and marginalizations. Um, certainly, the story of Puerto Rico is one that we don't get taught very often in mm-hmm. this country quite honestly. Mm-hmm. So um, stories that are buried, right, or erased. So I can see how those connections would be absolutely um, key and important for you in, in writing this play. Um, could you talk a little bit uh, about the, uh, the two we're calling them the, the two main characters, um, Tommy and Tomiko. Um, can you talk about each of them and their journey and where your inspiration, um, perhaps, for each character might have come from?
2: Well, as I said before, we we, we divided the story. I would do the present and she would do the past story, uh, even though. Of course, before we started writing, we we would have we would meet and talk about you know we, we decided what the characters were going to be like. We mm. did like character descriptions, uh, so we were both clear on what we wanted from from the story and the characters. Um, but um, for Tommy, uh, I just another connection with Janet. Janet has uh, a niece that lives in New York City, and I asked her if it would be okay for me to interview her. Um, uh-huh. So I got a lot of. Uh, inspiration from my interview with her about what it, what it is to be Japanese American, a, a young Japanese American, um, and, and and I think it's it, it's or I, I try to um to to make it clear in the in the play how important her history is for her, mm-hmm. and uh, at that time she was finishing college and she she was full of like. Uh, um, hope and energy. I'm just delirious, but you know it's, it's an exciting time in life, right? When you're about to graduate from college and you have all these dreams. And at the same time, she was talking so much about a strong sense of justice uh, from her background and her uh, and her history, and how being Japanese American is so important to her. Uh, so I all those things I try to. Uh, Portraying the play and the character in a way through the grandmother, right? But it's it's the, the Tommy, the little kid, who she also told me about what it was to, to be an Asian American and uh, growing up in a, uh, in schools in, in the West Coast. So I uh, I try to. Um, Stress the idea of how important it is, you know, to, to, for the kid to ask all these questions to the grandmother, right? About what happened to her and, and how she was able to survive such injustice. And, and this sense of that what, what, what we are can make us very strong if we use it in a positive way.
1: Mm, wonderful. And maybe Tomiko for Janet.
0: I, you know, I think Tomiko, we saw her as. Being critical in telling the arc of the story, because what we wanted the audience to walk away with was to see how something could happen to to an individual at a very uh, impressionable age, and how that incident carries throughout her lifetime and mm-hmm. and and then makes the connections to the the civil rights issues and and then to her grandson right so she became that vehicle. And, and and I think the other thing is that Tere and I both grew up with, with mothers who were very strong women. And instead of the stereotypical, you know, um, Asian American woman who 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 kowtows or who you know doesn't stand up for her beliefs or 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 follows everybody without saying anything. No, no, no. We wanted to have a very different character. We wanted a really strong female character. We mm-hmm. could have made that major character um, a male character, but we decided we definitely wanted a strong female character to take that story arc through. So that was very mm-hmm. intentional on our parts. And I would say motivated by our own mothers and how they raised us. So, um, and, and I have to say the mama character, uh, it, it the way she speaks um, and her thinking, I drew a lot on from my own grandmother. Mm. Um, just my memories of her, you know, I because of the, the language difference between us, I, I never really was able to communicate fully with her, but I know that she was also a very strong woman, So, but in a different way because her context was different. Um, so anyway, we just really felt that the female, the strength of the female character was really important in the story.
1: I agree. I loved that part of that story, too, that there, there's still a lot of incarceration stories that um, focus on male characters. So I love that this one was really focused on a, a female character to take us all the way through. Um, I feel like those stories even are still, you know, as we speak, coming to light, um, let's see. I did want to ask you. So we have a little bit about just sort of the timing, <laughs> right, of the writing of the play and where we were then and where we are now. So you wrote this um, before the pandemic um, of COVID-19, uh, before, I'll say, the current wave of anti-Asian hate and racism that it spurred and the racial reckoning um, can you talk to us a little bit about how you feel that this play is relevant for us um, in twenty twenty two
2: It's incredible that after everything that 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 we' going through these things are still happening. Um, so at the end of the play, the, the grandmother uh, tells the grandson the grandson the grandson actually asks, you know, uh, do you think something like this can happen again? And I, I can believe that the audiences that are going to see this play in 2022 are going to have to say, yes, it is happening, right? So there is a lot of relevance. Uh, it's been um, a few, you know, I, I think race is just uh, such a big issue in the United States. Uh, it's one thing, in my opinion, that is really not helping the country move forward. It's so ingrained in American society that it's a shame. Um, and, and just creates this other inequity uh, that it's um, affecting the country so badly. Uh, so, yeah, there's still a lot of relevance. Uh, I think um the pandemic, obviously, you know, you, you watch a place like this, uh, and, and and there's so much that the pandemic has done to bring back the inequity in the country, and and it just sits so clearly, you know, with education, healthcare, housing now, and it's unfortunately uh, by, by people that mostly get affected by this, right? So I think uh, the pandemic, you know, it's bringing back all these ideas of, of race inequity and others as well,
0: so. Yeah, I think it's still very relevant. Thank you, Tere. Tere and I actually speak about this that you know, the pandemic has created this whole collective trauma on us. And I really think what you said, Tere, about the it has exposed the inequities even more than before. And also because of the whole incident with George Floyd, that has raised the whole racial situation to to a national platform in a way it it didn't before. And when we were writing this, the Black Lives Matter work was just emerging. And we there's a scene when the boys talk about going to the Martin Luther King Day celebration. And Mm -hmm. we, at that point, were deliberating on whether that should be a Black Lives Matter protest or if it should be the MLK celebration. And because it was just burgeoning, we just felt that perhaps it didn't have wide enough recognition or understanding of what that was all about at that point in time. But I think we both agree that when given the opportunity that we will rewrite this play to incorporate some of these more current themes Mm. to make it even more relevant because the country has shifted in significant ways. What what it's been five years since we wrote the play. I think mm-hmm. so. I mean, it's just tremendous what's happened in those five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: you know, it was interesting when we were also trying to figure out the present story. Um, Black Lives Matter was something that we really considered, and the other thing that I remember, Janet, we thought we could also um, work in that storyline was um, mass incarceration. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Um, And and it just this conversation made me think about that because. Um, in, in a way, at that time, we started sort of like a parallel, right, to the uh, Japanese-American story and how it's, it's, it's another um, way of um, isolating people and uh, um, oppressing uh, people that uh, we feel afraid of because of the race, because they're different,
0: right? So, right. We yeah. walk, as you hear in the play, we walk up to that edge. Because people, he says, sometimes I think people are afraid of me. Mm -hmm. They don't really understand me. And so we walk up to that edge, but we didn't cross that line at that point. But I think it could be different now today because, you know, the public has Mm -hmm. a very different understanding of race and some of the issues that are impacting particularly African-Americans. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's a lot of choices you have to make. Yeah, and you want to say so many things, but then it's like, okay, I can do this. Just leave it hanging, especially for young audiences, right? If I am going to be writing about this, I need to really um, get deep into it and explain more. And, yeah, and make them think about it in so in in, in uh, creative ways. So
0: we left it. Yeah, but I also think, you know, this is a historical fiction, so it is truly based on historical fact. We did a lot of research on it. Um, But because history has changed so much, I think that we would, it colors our thinking as an audience and as playwrights, and I think we would rewrite. Um, One of the things that I struggle with now in reading the play again is that mama's so firm in her shikata ganai, you know, right. just just kind of, let's just kind of hot. go with the flow, you know. Right. And I think with all of the uprisings now around racial injustice, it makes me think that, wow, why? whereas the contrast with her daughter, right? Tomiko's like, no, this is not right. We need to do something. So I even think in that relationship, we could push it a little further and take it a, a, maybe a slightly different way. But, you know, it, we wrote it in that particular moment in time that we were living. Absolutely. I was wondering, uh, and this is not a question
1: that you uh, might've thought about, but I really want to talk a little bit more about um, the importance of highlighting Japanese
0: American and African American solidarity. So say, say a little bit more about that, the importance of it.
1: Yeah, the importance of it, the significance of it. Um, if you feel like it's a narrative that we don't get uh, taught very often, or if it's a narrative that we need
0: to know more about and why. Yeah, you know, so so first of all, I just, for the record, need to say, I feel that these two stories are apples and oranges. Yes, they both exhibit racial injustice, but I don't think you can compare what has happened to African-Americans, a 400-year legacy of of slavery and that story Mm -hmm. with what happened with Japanese-Americans during World War II. Mm -hmm. Both were terrible, but 400 years compared to three or four years, you know, there's not a comparison there. Um, So that is important to say, because I think over time there has been tension with the communities, right? Just by the way the. The, the, the majority community maybe has accepted or not accepted different aspects of the community mm-hmm. uh, or either or the other community. So coming together, I think, forms some solidarity, hopefully, that we can learn from. But there has been tension um, mm-hmm. over the past. You know, m- my mother even shared her disbelief that when she was in Tacoma, she, she could not get a job. At post high school. She went to secretarial school. She couldn't get a job as a secretary because she was seen as being colored. But then when she moved to the South with her husband who was had just joined the army, mm-hmm. she could get a job because now she wasn't considered colored anymore. She was considered white. So, you know, that was such a perplexing um, situation. And It just goes to show you how complex or uh, that that humans have made this whole story of race because my mother is the same person, whether she lives in Tacoma or she lives in Arkansas, but she was treated very differently. And I think that's been some of the tension over the years is that, you know, even as both being people of color, we have been treated differently. I think the whole reparations movement around for the Japanese Americans where post-World War II, Japanese Americans were awarded $20,000 for the suffering because of what happened during World War II and African Americans never got their 40 acres and a mule, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's why the whole reparation story comes up again and again, you know, Mm -hmm. it isn't fair. And what are we as Americans going to do about that? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so... The history goes on. I think people of color continue to be oppressed and marginalized in ways that uh, the majority, well, I don't even know if you can call it majority, but the white community hasn't had to experience. Um, And and what does that say for the rest of us? Hopefully, the story, I, I think the whole notion of racial injustice that it doesn't change overnight. It's not like a light switch. You just flip and things automatically become fair. It is an iterative process. So hopefully as each of these stories gets told and more people know about them, we as a larger community say, oh yeah, we need to do better than this. And so then we fix this and we fix that over time. So in that regard, I think the solidarity between any oppressed peoples uh, is helpful and and strengthens the cause and in, in in trying to make things more equitable for all people. Yeah,
2: but I right. think that's that's also what's great about the play is that um, Tomiko and Alice meet again in Chicago years later because mm-hmm. they're both committed right to. Um, to fighting inequity and uh, racism, and I guess that's also what Janet is saying: is like if we can join forces together, right? All, uh, all, all of us, anyone who who has a strong sense of justice, we learn from each other's stories, and, and together we are inspired to 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 help each other and and continue the fight for justice. So yeah. Right. And if you
1: were to rewrite the play today, you could include things like the uh, Japanese American fight or campaign for HR 40 and reparations for African-Americans, right. You could include Mm -hmm. suited for solidarity, right. Which is a nationwide uh, movement founded by Japanese Americans um, against racist immigration and detention and incarceration policies. So there are more, um, I think, visible maybe signs of solidarity, which gives me some hope that could also be <laughs> included as well. Um, to, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to wind us towards uh, some concluding thoughts from both of you. Um, what do you hope that people take away from this play, watching it in 2022
2: or beyond? I guess, as I was saying before, um, that if if you um, if you feel like things are not fair, that um, it, it really bothers you what you see around, uh, to to realize that there are other people out there like you, and uh, I think the play talks a lot about. Uh, strong sense of community right and building community um because that's what uh, grandma tells the son right when they talk about basketball and you know how how that's a community and and how alice and and her uh joined forces in, in the fight and that how that's why they were so close because they both had that uh, strong sense of justice so that you're not alone and i think something that Janet and I have talked about and and me doing this work in Puerto Rico with this theater program that I that I'm doing that it's about leadership people get you know they think that to become a leader is such a big thing right or a leader is someone who who does like huge things to change the world but I think just you know you're a leader by doing something little within your community whether it's your school or within your family your neighborhood, any any act of um, changing, uh, taking action it makes you a leader. So I think, in a, to me, that's the biggest um, um, message that we want to convey to young people with the play. It's like if something bothers you, do something about it. Talk to people about it. Create that uh, space where you can start to think of other ways of doing things. And I have a, a great hope for young people, for the new generations. They they think very different. They're very open. They understand the mess they're inheriting <laughs> from us. And they really, a lot of them, are very, very committed to change. So I think, we, we think that with displaying an educational theater piece, it really creates that space in tools for people to talk about all this injustice and how to start changing it.
0: Wonderful, Janet. Yeah, I would just echo that that when you see injustice or if you feel that injustice has been done to you, that each of us has the capacity and the power to stand up and say something and do something and we would encourage students to, to do that, to learn about what is happening And then to stand up for what you believe is right. So
1: wonderful. One of the things that I took away personally, right, as a viewer of the play, was that wonderful sense of pride and knowledge in who you are, right? Not just your culture, but your history. Um, When um, the... Uh, character gets asked, um, "What's what you know? What what does Japanese American mean to you?" And the character says, "Good food." And I was like, "That is the perfect, <laughs> <laughs> that is a perfect answer, and so rooted right in my in my knowledge, in my in my experience." Today. Let me tell you, the Puerto Rican
2: wrote that line just because when <laughs> I interview. But not that, because when I interviewed, I mean, in Puerto Rican, also very food, right? But Janet's niece told me exactly that. So I I wrote it in the play like that. And I I mean, people love that line because all the Japanese Americans that see the play could relate to that line
0: so much. love that line so much. I actually think most people, most BIPOC communities can connect with that line. Oh, yeah, that they would say the same thing,
1: <laughs> yeah, I know I, potlucks yeah, right? I would true. just say, you know, my family potlucks, my community potlucks it's that that is where so much of our joy lies, right in our culture and in our, our community, community. I know. right, yes, in our community
2: absolutely, but also it was really interesting for me as a Puerto Rican to write that scene because for you know for us, also this sense of history of who we are, identity, we are a culture that ties identity um. Uh, every day to try to survive as as our own country and and Puerto Ricans in the States, you know? So to me, I I just could relate so much to, um, to the grandmother character when she was saying all those things, because it, it, it just gives us the strength to, to, um, to fight for what we think is wrong because we believe in in our history, in our past, and that we deserve a chance, right? So yeah, it's totally related as a Puerto Rican. Yeah, it's just, you know, when when you and Janet that I talk about this a little bit too, it's like Martin Luther King said it, right? That uh, all injustice affects any injustice affects all of us. So if you if you fight for justice, you gotta for all the inequities that are happening out there. It's just not the one. They're all part of the same cost. So, yeah. Well, the two of you have
1: given us a wonderful play to keep echoing that legacy and continuing it and bringing it to new generations. Uh, let me thank both of you for joining us today. I want to thank our sponsors from Columbia Bank and Tacoma Creates. Thank you all for listening, and uh, please remember that all recordings can be found found online at TacomaArtsLive.org. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you.
2: Thank you. It was wonderful. This program is brought to you by On Purpose Recordings, created and produced by Chris Blunt, mixed and edited by Geoff
0: Gibbs.